Okay, we're live. Uh, let me see if I can fix this to look different. There we go. We're live. Today's this is Peggy's Recovery Corner. We are a recovery podcast. We talk to many different types of people from all walks of life that are in the recovery process. When I say recovery, we're talking about addiction, alcoholism. Uh, we're talking about mental health. Um, today we have two very, 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 very special guests. Um, they're dear friends of mine. Uh, they're the dynamic duo when it comes to, at least I think, in, in when it comes to recovery, these two really talk the talk and walk the walk. And I say that um, very confidently. Uh, welcome to the corner, Brittany and Justin. Good morning. Good morning. Okay. So usually when it's just one guest, we delve into that person's past to see what they're up, where they were born, what their upbringing was and and then, um, you know, when they got into certain things in their lives and then when they got out of those certain things. Um, today, we're going to talk more about what, first of all, where are you f- both originally from? Uh, ladies first. Of course. Um, a little bit of everywhere. I was born in San Diego County. And when I was growing up, we bounced around a lot, kind of up and down Southern California between uh, Los Angeles and Temecula, and then Los Angeles, and then uh, ultimately Temecula was where I stayed the longest. Okay, and then, um, and Justin? Yeah, uh, I grew up pretty much uh, in one place up in Northern California uh, and in Southern Oregon. We bounced between those two places, uh, way, way North California, like 30 minutes from the border Mm -hmm. up there, really isolated. Okay, and then were you – now, you two met well, – okay, so what was your upbringing like? Like, Brittany, was there siblings? Yeah, I have three younger sisters and a younger brother. I'm the oldest. Um, <clears throat> how much do you want me to go into – I had a pretty, like, I grew up in a pretty traditional, my dad worked, my mom, um, my mom stayed home. They always knew that they wanted a lot of kids. When I was growing up, it was kind of a, I mean, I think we kind of have that in common. There was a lot of like fend for yourself. Like Mm -hmm. I was constantly making up what my siblings and I were going to do for the day. And we would just like take off and roam in the backyard and the house. And it was pretty, there were so many of us that I can't imagine trying to like, my mom had four kids under the age of nine at one point. Mm -hmm. Um, So there was a lot of chaos. It was always very, very loud. Mm -hmm. Um, What about you? Uh, I grew up in, like I said, a really small, small place. A population 365 was the town. I was, I was born up in Arcata, California, in Humboldt uh, County. If anyone knows where that's at, obviously, um, it's famous for some things. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. We, uh, my my father, my stepfather worked for the um, Forest Service. My mom was a teacher. Um, so, by all counts, sounds like a pretty normal, you know. Uh, middle-class upbringing, but we lived in a trailer on seven acres in the middle of the woods with our closest neighbor two miles away. And we lived off the land. We gardened and raised animals. And I was by myself most of the time. We we drove over an hour to get to school and back. Uh, and I had an older stepbrother who was always in trouble. 
because my stepfather was uh, was abusive and um, they had a lot of issues because of that. And um, I was by myself a lot. Um, uh, yeah, so I just did that. that that's about says it for most of my childhood. OK. And then, uh, Justin, you went on to, to college or university at, at, at a certain age. Did you graduate yeah. uh, uh, high school on time? Oh, yeah. I left uh, I left home when I was 17 uh, to uh, after I graduated to go to college in Fresno, went to Fresno State, um, mm -hmm. got my degree in English and my teaching credential in English um, and uh, went on to teach uh, English and theater for about 15 years. Okay, so, yeah. so that young, you already went to school to, to go away to school. That means you were it sounds like you were educated in your adolescence and probably even in your in your childhood. I was a good student. Like I said, my mom was a teacher and education was always pushed on us uh, pretty hard. So even though there was abuse, there was, you know, that element, um, which I, you know, mistook for, I guess, um, you know, when you're a kid, you normalize your situation. You think uh, I, I have a normal situation. I've got um, a, a good you know, good thing going here. And, and, you know, kids always complain about certain things, but it wasn't until I was an adult that I realized my situation was abnormal. Uh, when I got to college and realized how socially inept I was, uh, I was so, uh, I had so much social, social anxiety that um, substances hadn't really been a thing for me in high school. I partied a couple times, but my father smoked weed in front of us uh, nonstop all the time. That was just his thing. Um, I, I watched him regulate his moods with uh, one substance or another, uh, depending on what he had decided on. That's the mood we'd get when you get home and we'd have to deal with that. And I, I always preferred the weed, uh, honestly. Uh, but when I got to college, uh, I immediately went to drinking immediately to, to just to comfort myself uh, and to be able to make friends and, and meet people. So that's uh, and, what I was going to ask that, like when you were growing up in high school, substances weren't really an issue, wasn't? No, I partied a couple times. You know, I mean, I mean, I'd have a beer here and there just to be with my friends. That uh, if they were all drinking, I'd sip at a beer. But I hated beer; I didn't like it. Uh, I, I made myself like it in, in college and uh, liked it real quick. And uh, my second semester of college, I ended up with I think a point three six GPA. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because I just stopped going to school, started smoking weed and drinking, uh, sleeping in, not going to class. You know, that's the kind of the thing. And um, did you say point three six or three? Yeah, yeah point three six. Yeah. For for a second, I was like three point six isn't that bad. Oh no, 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 no. I mean, not in my world. No my first semester, <laughs> yeah, my first semester, I got uh, you know around a three and then immediately just took a nosedive. And I don't know how I did that, even to be honest. Uh, classes were like. You had to only be there for the midterm and the final, you know, and so I, I took that as a, you know, great. I don't have to go to class. I'll just figure it out. Uh, and uh, it, it just didn't work out like that. So I had to figure things out. I went home for the summer after my first year to try and like collect myself. My, my mom moved me home and was like threatening. I went back. I was going to go transfer to Humboldt State, which probably would have been horrible for me. When we uh, talk about Humboldt, for those that don't know, it's a it's a cultivation yeah. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of weed. horticulture. Yeah, exactly. Weed horticulture. Yeah. yeah. A, lot of people, a lot of growing. Things are growing there a lot. Yeah, they grow well. That's yeah, northern. I do. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. So then, um, Brittany, what about you? Like growing up in, in your in your adolescence and, and 
you know, high school days and things like that, any experimenting with drugs, alcohol? <clears throat> almost, almost none. When I was really young, my mom got pretty severely injured. She was in a gnarly freak accident um, in the attic of our house and ended up stepping through what she thought was like solid floor and it wasn't and um, was almost pretty immediately prescribed the gamut of painkillers. And I saw, I saw that. So anybody, I didn't even know very many people that used to that degree in high school. Um, mm -hmm. But I was, I felt like I was dealing with this struggle of like not wanting people to know what was going on with my mom at the time. So I didn't partake. I think I drank like I could count on one hand. I had one party at the end of my senior year, like a New Year's Eve party. And my uh, one of my parents was home and I had invited all of my friends and a bunch of underclassmen. And like, if you had this color solo cup, you were drinking. And if you didn't, you didn't know there was alcohol at the party. Like I was a nerd and I had nerdy friends. Um, and it wasn't, I didn't, I didn't, uh, try out the horticulture until I was almost 21. And then, yeah, it was very, it was pretty boring. Um, so it's fair to say that both of you two were kind of late bloomers. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. When it came to, okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, like I said, from 17 on, uh, I, I did take advantage of substances to deal with my mental health issues. Right. Uh, 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 until it, I found the one that really, did it for me uh, in my forty in my thirties, yeah. And when I say late, late, when I say late bloomers, usually like when you hear somebody's story in in any kind of twelve step world or or just in recovery as a whole, often you'll hear like I started when I was twelve years old. Like it mm -hmm. may have been I, I raided my parents' wine cabinet or liquor cabinet or whatever. But uh, okay, so so you guys started pretty late on. Now you both met each other um, in theater, correct? Yep. And that was uh, where? Where was that? In, in Temecula. Temecula. Yeah. All right. And then uh, during that time, uh, what happened? The, get, who wants to go first? Like what happened? <laughs> How did this? Well, uh, friend, friendship. You know, I'll, go ahead, I'll go ahead. I, we, you know, we started um, seeing each other in an affair, as an affair capacity. I was married uh, with children and uh unhappily so I, I dealt with it poorly um i was afraid of of not being around my kids and so i um did not leave instead i uh you know i fell in love and um tried to figure out how it was going to make that work um i knew i knew i wanted to leave i i didn't know how to do it and i was um uh, you know, I was weak. I was, I was afraid. It was all fear that kept me from doing what I needed to do and uh, being honest with the people that I ended up hurting the most. So um, that was kind of the beginning of like my, like my real like emotional and mental sort of disintegration was that was my inability to, to face <laughs> the hard things that um, I needed to uh, in my life and be honest. Uh, and I, and I wasn't, um, 
and you know, um, even Brittany was a, a, a victim to that because she had she was strung along for a long time with me being indecisive or not even indecisive. It wasn't that I had decided that I hadn't decided whether I, I wanted to be with her or my ex. It was that I was afraid of leaving. I was afraid of leaving my kids. I was afraid of hurting them. I was afraid of the, what the truth was going to do to their lives mostly. And uh, by delaying, I just made it worse. You know, I just made it worse. So um, that's that's how it started. And, and um, we, uh, we were in love and we, you know, we tried to make it work. Things blew up um, at some point and, um, you know, our families got involved and it got very ugly for us. We, you know, broke up. I, I thought I owed it to my family to give it one more shot. So I, I broke up with Brittany and we went through a period that was really rough on us both, uh, which I'm sure she'll address. Uh, <laughs> and um, uh, alcohol was really how I managed myself through that period. Um, because going home uh, and I, I mean, I, I was going to go back. I left teaching. I was going to go back to grad school. And um, so I spent that first year after trying to apply to applying to programs, going in interviews at Yale and Irvine and all these places that I would hope to get into as a professional stage designer, mm -hmm. decided to go to San Diego State. Um, you know, my ex-wife tried to be supportive, but when it push came to shove, the amount of hours I was having to spend, I was I was given the first show of the year to, to design. And that meant I had to basically live at San Diego State for that period of time. And we lived in Lake Elsinore, so it was a, a horrible commute. Um, and so uh, the same issues that were there prior came back up and uh, I ended up uh, leaving. So we started seeing each other again. Um, and we got pregnant and uh that ended you know that was a sort of a push comes to shove make a fucking decision kind of thing sorry for my language you can, uh, you can you don't have to watch your language so let me ask this when you guys started seeing each other again was that was it an affair at this point because you said you were trying to make it work with yeah of course it was it okay. was this we we went back into the same exact situation we were in before uh it was really interesting because we had found each other, fell in love. We were so afraid of this small town and small town mindset. Like, I swear, like 40% of the population was Mormon and another 50% were just like mainstream Christian. It was very like small town gossipy environment that we were so afraid of that we ended up making such big problems for ourselves that we would go on to like keep being the talk of the small town like we could have just disappeared into obscurity and we both tried to do that when we split up and we both ended up living in a the same different small town when we both ran away yeah <laughs> like 30 minutes up the freeway we were both like i'm getting out of here i'm starting over and we ended up living closer to each other than we had before the first time around yeah. and yeah that was it was only it was only an affair for a very short period of time the second time around yeah um 
I don't know. I that was kind of the end of my thought, but yeah, at that point, um, it was I had I had faced the the fact that um, that the issues that my ex wife and I had prior that had allowed me to make those poor decisions were still present and were not going to go anywhere. We had gotten married when we were 20, met when we were 18. We had grown up together, but had really not grown together, if that makes sense. Uh, we kind of grew in different ways um, and uh, both tried really hard. Um, you know, no situation is a one person thing. You know, we, we just, uh, we both loved our kids very much. And um, that was, um, that was it. Uh, we, I just realized I couldn't keep doing that the rest of my life. So I think, oh, go ahead. I think the thing that both of us did that seems in retrospect so cliche, and but at the time we couldn't have seen it, was I wanted to be saved or have this like, this is going to save me, this is going to give me purpose moment relationship and I think we both I mean obviously I love Justin very much it's been about 15 years now but I think that we both saw each other as another person like there's very much always been this I felt like Justin was the first person who spoke the exact dialect of the exact same language that I did I can but, see that I could see that we don't even realize we're weird. Um, but <laughs> it was also like, so there was very much the relationship that we had and seeing him as a person and then also completely using another human being that I wasn't looking at to try and fit that emptiness. I had kind of burned out after high school. I'd gotten into an acting school that I didn't end up going to. And like, this was gonna be the thing. And when we got back together, after the first time we had split up and had ruined and damaged so many people and then found our way back to each other again. And then we had this like fresh start. It's a new place. It's not, nobody's breaking any rules. Like this is gonna be- Our like, moment. Yeah, now everything's gonna be good. Like <clears throat> this is the solution. Now there, there's no obstacle. Um, and spoiler alert, there were in fact obstacles, but <laughs> it, um that's what i think is so different about our relationship now in like its third incarnation is <laughs> neither one of us came back looking for the other person to solve or fill something yeah yeah now we ended up um that second time moving in together after i i left um I had split custody of, of my children, so we had them half the week, and uh, their mom had them half the week. So Brittany found herself, uh, you know, in her early 20s, um, pregnant with her first child and basically stepmother to three, my three children. And it was a lot. And she had a really tough pregnancy, um, sick almost the entire nine months. And um, not almost <laughs> pretty much every single thing. day, <laughs> every single day. She was, <laughs> she threw up everywhere. Um, and so that made it very tough. You know, she, she was, uh, 
uh, trying to, you know, figure out who she was. And we were trying to establish our new relationship in, you know, this new world that we were in. And, you know, I had started teaching again and, um, um, but not in, in theater. And so I was not, I was commuting. I wasn't very happy with what I was what doing. What were you teaching? English? I was teaching English. Uh, yeah. In a, in a um, charter school in San Bernardino at first. And then I, I taught out in the, in the desert, out in Hemet. And um, it just, you know, as uh, this, this was about the time after our daughter was born, when things started to spin in the direction of substances to deal with, we, we both found ourselves in this place where like, okay, we're where we want to be. And then there were all Why these new issues and yeah. neither of us were happy, not with each other, but we, it was with ourselves. We had, we had so many internal issues that we hadn't dealt with um, of our own from the past, et cetera, that we were um, left, you know, reeling. And then there were all the new issues from the divorce and, uh, you know, split custody and um, her, new, you know, bring her new responsibilities uh, with my my kids and a, and a brand new baby. And, you know, she developed a, an autoimmune disease. Uh, I mean, it was one thing after Pretty another. Severe postpartum. Yes. Yeah. <sighs> this is a perfect storm of every reason to get loaded. Right. right you could right. think of. And is that, well, OK, so when you say you started to go into the direction of substances. Yes. This I'll take this. Yeah. Yeah. Go I got. Uh, I had. It took me years to recognize, and only in retrospect, that I had some very gnarly postpartum depression. And okay. on top of that, I started the this years long journey of trying to get a diagnosis for my autoimmune disease. I'd had a very very difficult pregnancy. I had been. Like he said, I had a hyperemesis gravidum. So I basically, I threw up all day, every day for, I was in labor with her, still throwing up like the first six weeks of being pregnant. And my immune system never had time to recover. I left the hospital at my pre-baby weight three days after our baby was born because I was constantly so hard to keep food down. And I kind of went into shock. I had this six-week-old baby. All of a sudden, I couldn't pick her up. My joints were so swollen and my hands were so locked up that I couldn't lift her. And she can walk up the stairs. We had to set up a bedroom in the living room. Yeah. Living room, bedroom. Um, when, when we had split up years before was, uh, the first time I had ever gotten, I had ever, uh, stolen some pills from the friendly family medicine cabinet. Um, and I had, at the time, my mom was seeing one of those doctors, most of whom aren't allowed to be doctors anymore. Mm -hmm. And there was an abundance of supply. And here I was years later, I was in pain and I was emotionally hurting. And I knew that I had gotten through the difficulty of our first breakup by numbing out. So I stole some pills, asked for some pills, got the doctor to give me some pills. And we didn't settle on a proper diagnosis until last month with my newest doctor. But it was very clear that it was one of a couple of issues, all of which I could convince the doctors I was seeing at the time to prescribe me painkillers for. So I started with the hard substances and it very quickly developed into a problem 
and Justin tried on multiple occasions to love me into stopping, to threaten me into stopping, but we were also trying to together and separately maintain this outward appearance of, oh, we're happy now, everything's good. And he was struggling with custody issues. There was a fear of like, if I went to treatment, I remember we just talked about this recently. I was trying to detox myself at home um, in the first year of our little one's life. And I was so sick. And at that time, homie had never experienced opiate withdrawal. And I was sitting in the bathtub in the master bedroom, like crying, shaking the whole nine. And he came in and he was so angry. You're being ridiculous. This is dramatic. The kids can't see you like this. Our families can't see you like this. You need to basically suck it up. And that got old really quickly. So if I want him to get off my back, hey, you should probably try these. You look like you have a headache and a backache and, you know, a spiritual condition. <laughs> and now, let me ask a question. You say he said to you, your, your families can't see you like this. Were your families uh, OK with you guys at the time being a couple? Uh, mine was definitely not. Uh, my family, my mother, my uh, sister, everyone had basically backed out. You know, um, half my family, you know, hadn't, but were not a huge part of my life anyway. They lived far away. Um, so, no, uh, my family was not really involved. Um, Her at, family came around to it. Yeah. At the time when I found out I was pregnant, um, <clears throat> like I was having everybody's first grandbaby, first niece, first great grandchild. And if anything, I actually very recently was having a conversation with my grandparents where um my grandma said, you know, when you were pregnant and right after you had the baby, it became pretty clear you were the problem. Um, a family member had come and stayed with us. Justin had gone right back to work when our daughter was a couple days old and family member had stayed with us a couple weeks before and a couple weeks after I had her. And my grandma said, oh, she came home and said, if they don't last, it's not because there's something wrong with Justin. Justin gets up every morning and gets ready and goes to work and comes home and gives equal quality time to each of the kids and it's tries to do homework and makes dinner. Brittany's a shit show. Yeah. <laughs> she okay. My family was at that point, they were pretty, they were pretty supportive. They wanted, like they wanted me to be right on paper. Everything looked like it was headed for disaster, but mm -hmm. they wanted me to actually be having um, that life that I had fought and hurt people and lied for and, you know. Okay. So, so within the home, since homie hadn't yet experienced opiate withdrawals and he came and he was frustrated, what happened then? What, how, what, what developed? Uh, what well, I mean, I had been still managing my, my, uh, anxiety and depression, all that with alcohol. Uh, you know, I'd come home and I'd drink a six pack, uh, you know, which doesn't, I mean, it's a lot for one on a work night, you know what I mean? It's, it's, I don't want to downplay that. It was a lot, you know, or a, a bottle of wine on my own or, you know, or he didn't really drink. So it wasn't, uh, wasn't a thing, but that's, that was what I was used to. Um, and then I, I remember I, 
I had fought her on her things for so long on this. You know, I'd come home and find milk jugs full of poppy seeds that she had made <laughs> poppy seed tea to try and reduce the over, you know, the the, the withdrawal symptoms. Do you ever do that? <laughs> I'd I mean, find. It sounds I'd like find, a good experiment when if you're on opiates. <laughs> I, it's real lame. You got to go to the bargain bins at you know food for less and get the bulk. Yeah, you, you know, can't do that seeds. anymore. I don't think you they can't do that buy anymore. bulk poppies. Like, yeah. It sounds like kratom on steroids or some shit. No, it's not. It's worth. It's less. So I was, uh, then I found kratom. I, I, that was another thing that she you know. I was a recreational tried. pharmacist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds like it. So, so okay. So I, uh, so, I was fighting her on that for the longest time. And then I, I, I hurt my back at one point and doing not badly, but coming down the ladder, putting up Christmas lights, I think was where, where, where it was at. And, uh, you know, I went to the emergency room one day after work. So I was just having a hard time moving around. They gave me Percocet. And I, you know, it's not that I had never tried them before. I think my first taste with opiates was when I had appendicitis back in like way before we ever met back in a oath two i think uh i was still living up in the central valley and um i, I had an emergency appendectomy they put me on uh, norcos and i liked them way too much um but they stopped giving i got uh, i got them extended because i also got uh what's it called uh not chicken pox but the uh, shingles. shingles i got shingles after i got my appendectomy so I, I i i was able to extend the the pain pills a little longer and um realized i liked them a lot but then i i didn't touch them again until th this time and i had tr you know i'd had a morphine pill here a morphine pill there for a headache or a back yeah a backache you know she was letting me do a little taste test just here a there. morphine for your headache. yeah just like, a 30 um... milligram morphine for your headache um i would get really bad like migraine type headaches and so it was you know uh i i rationalized it oh yeah i can take something stronger than a tylenol um, but i didn't go midway i went all the way um and then at, so at this point, I got the Percocets and I, you know, I took two instead of one. I took three instead of two. Uh, you know, the, the the feeling I got from it was like an immediate re release from the anxiety and depression that I had felt my entire adult life. And I was like, yeah, shit. Uh, I tried about every mental health medication that a site could throw at me and none of them worked. This worked immediately. Uh, it was from a doctor. It was in a prescription bottle. Why not? Our names weren't on them. But... Uh, they were at first. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> they were at first. We we were able to keep that going for a while, for, especially with Brittany's, you know, autoimmune thing. It was, but it was always a fight, you know, it was always a, you know, trying to outrun the, the withdrawal symptoms. Um, and there was this like brief, I don't want to say like golden period, but it felt like that at the time where. Justin wasn't stressed out. I wasn't stressed out. Like it, it felt like we both took this like really, really deep breath and right. I wasn't in trouble for taking pills anymore. And we found this weird, like we met a common, common area, but it was all like, it was like for this, after all of these couple years of chaos, we both are, abusing substances but for like one minute we both took this deep breath and it was like oh i can see you like again yeah there's my person that i fell in love with and was willing to make all these crazy choices for you know a couple of years ago now like like i feel like i can almost picture like both of us standing in the middle of like a wildly spinning room and then it was oh okay there you are and it became this 
like I didn't just want to get another prescription or break into name the person's medicine cabinet for me it was like I wanted to Keep see us. you I wanted to relax I wanted us to chill out and like have a night where it right. didn't feel like I I've made this comment about him literally the entirety of the time I've known him where like I can tell how intense his anxiety and emotions are by the way he breathes he does this really big like saddest man in the world sigh when he's anxious and I would hear that and it was like okay I like I need to come up on some more meds and <clears throat> so it almost at the time I would say it kind of kept us together because we could have easily fallen apart for a million and five reasons at that point yes and maybe that would have been better in the long run I don't know thanks no I just mean like <laughs> At the time, it might have avoided the future that we had in store for us still. You know, oh, yeah, I, mean, I can't do that. I have to you, just assume it was all supposed to happen. Yeah, no, I, I believe that now. But I think, you know, you, you still sometimes you wonder, like, where was the falling off point? You know, where was the point where we could have taken a different path, like the Choose Your Own Adventure novel, you know, where you had some choice still? Mm -hmm. um, but it was, it was definitely there. Yeah, it was very quickly, though, after that point that we lost control of ourselves and mm -hmm. uh, and the desperation surrounding our addiction took over everything. Okay. So what direction did it start to go into? Did you guys get into heavier drugs? Yeah. Yeah. The pills became difficult to get. Okay. Uh, we were no longer able to get them from the easy places. Mm -hmm. And so we started going to the streets uh, to find them. They were super expensive and um, a cheaper option was heroin. And Black and, tar heroin, correct? Yeah. Correct. Black tar heroin. Yeah, this itself. is pre-fentanyl, you know, pre-fentanyl on the streets, yes. thankfully. And, and we um did you were you scared that you're resorting to yeah. straight yeah, street? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. We had a big argument about it in, in beforehand when it, when the subject came up, you know. Um she knew of someone who messed with it, uh thought she could figure out a way to get, you know, that, that we could try it. Uh, you know, all you know, all I knew of heroin was, you know, what what the anyone knows of heroin before they are involved in the drug world is you know you think needles you think junkies on on the corner on the sidewalk you know you think smoky jazz clubs i don't know what you know, whatever you think about when you think of heroin. <laughs> you know, these horrible things but maybe you, you, three people in the world that think smoky jazz clubs. well you know they traditionally you know you read <laughs> read uh burroughs junkie you'll know what no, I, I anyway it. i get it it so we rationalized that we would, uh, you know, get some and we would smoke it. We wouldn't use needles. We wouldn't do any of those things. What there was this? We rationalized it. It was the same thing that we were getting out of the pills. It was cheaper. Um, Plant and, medicine. And we could taper ourselves off because we had already realized we needed to stop. Like it was out of hand that we, it, our addiction had control over us because we had spent too many weekends where we were sick trying to get what we needed to, to be well and um how long how long was this lasting which one uh resorting to the streets and getting heroin and smoking it did it become other things or did it uh was it just i mean how long were you guys doing this because you knew uh, here's the thing you guys are saying that you knew that you needed to stop you know okay. i think oh, that's, that's where i was going with it once heroin entered the picture we uh it was all all bets were off like it the, 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 this uh, fiction that we had created for ourselves that we were going to taper ourselves off of it was a joke. 
because as soon as we tasted that, uh, it just, our addiction got stronger and stronger, you know, just everything surrounding the preparation of the heroin and the this and that became part of our story. It became part of our addiction. And we, um, we, it, it just got worse. It was a little under two years. Yeah. Before, um, yeah, before the end. Mm -hmm. it, yeah. It was after our daughter's first birthday and that chapter of our lives came to a shocking close um, exactly 30 days after her third birthday. Right. So, and we, you know, in that period of time, we tried the methadone clinics. Uh, we sort of tried Suboxone uh, oh, to get off of it. And then we sort of um, tried Suboxone. Were you getting that on the streets too? He went um, and got it I, from a doctor. I went and got a prescription for it and never used it. I uh, used it a couple times. The first time I took it too early. Here's my, yeah, my thing was, I wouldn't wish that on anyone. I knew I had to get sick before I could start taking it. And my thing was always, I, I couldn't be sick in front of the kids. So I had to do, I had to do it in the four days. I didn't have them during the week. And then, uh, I was teaching, so I couldn't do it while I was teaching. So I would have to take a couple of days off on, I added to a weekend and try and get through the worst of it before Monday. Uh, and so I always found a reason why it wasn't the right time. Yeah, it was always like buying more black tar heroin was the damage control. Like it was yeah. the most, it was the smoothest course. It was the most reasonable option. It was, I mean, it hasn't To been, not blow up our life, we needed to stay well, you know? It hasn't been just under a decade, but it was, addiction is still incredibly stigmatized now, but it was so much... Worse. the more right. so 10 years ago right and it was, yeah it was before the opiate cri uh, epidemic had the opiate been. crisis wasn't a phrase it yeah. hadn't become a thing a catchword yet um, so it was this really really dark dirty secret neither one of us as far as i knew i could go to some shithole clinic in fontana and try and detox or we could do it at home and it was it was a really dark it was a really dark yeah. time even and the, the methadone situation was no good because we would go and dose cough. at like five in the morning and uh but we realized within a couple of days we were on a taper program that that wasn't enough to get us to the next morning so we would cop we would do our dose we would cop at the methadone clinic and then mm -hmm. save that for the afternoon when the methadone would start wearing off so it was just a it was a horrible circular so now we're doing methadone and heroin that's the uh, thing. No one like it was never. I was never partying. I've never mm. party. I've been been hungover one time in my entire life, yeah. and it was just trying to maintain normal. It, right. Like it was so quickly not fun. Yeah, because I never, I never chased the nod and all that. You know, we were. It was not about that. I felt normal when I was well, so I, I looked at it as like my ability to like maintain. But. So I, something went in a certain direction and you guys got into some trouble. Tell me about that. Meth, meth entered the picture. A uh, guy we used to go by with uh, had gotten some and uh, said it had helped people kick opiates. And I was like, there's no, you know, uh, there's not much in the way of uh, withdrawal symptoms from it. So you just use that instead. And that was the, that was the thing. It was sold to me that way. And I, so I thought, well, Fuck it, let's try it. 
And I was so angry. And it was I, cheap. I was so self-righteous for someone who was standing there holding their hand out for their daily dope cop. And yeah. he comes in and gives me my heroin, which is totally fine with me. And is a little bit wild-eyed and is like, okay, so I have a plan. Like, right, every, every meth user ever has a plan. But... I was so angry, like, how dare you do that drug? That's a completely different situation where, like, aside from the fact that we always knew one or two people that we could get drugs through, we didn't hang out with drug people. I didn't have friends. You didn't have friends. So yeah, it was very much like that's a different shady people kind of crowd. Breaking Bad was literally had just ended. Like, that was my understanding. And he was like, no, it's totally great. It's going to be great. It's fine. And it was not fine but no. we purchased it to try and wean ourselves off of what we thought was the more addictive drug and i was a zero to psychosis kind of gal like immediately i don't need to be awake for three days i like yeah her thoughts went give me 12 hours and i can tell you exactly what the government is doing right now <laughs> to spy on us and ruin our moment and like, I thought we had this crazy disease. I was constantly trying to pull things out of my skin. I became really convinced that I could get the nanoparticles from the disease out of the wall of our apartment with fire. Sounds, sounds, that sounds like, sounds about right. That's that was good time. I mean, we started a furniture refinishing business on the carpet of our living room. You know, we had all these pieces of furniture that were half done. So many half painted doing, coffee tables. Doing uh, ref refinishes in the middle of the night, three in the morning with the sanders and shit. And our, our, our neighbors loved us. Um, yes. So, yeah, and it got out of hand real quick. But within a couple months, I was already arrested for the first time. Arrested for what? Uh, possession and, and paraphernalia. The cops were called for a, um, what do you call it? A welfare welfare check one morning. Um, you we, answered the door and let them in the house. Been, we had been outside uh, having a cigarette, <laughs> and a neighbor had called uh, saying that we had left our baby alone. Um, she was sleeping in her crib. We didn't ever use in front of the kids at all, but we used in the house. Um, yeah, that was. By the way, I mean we really fucked up and earned yeah, a lot of consequences and were completely neglectful absentee inebriated parents if you could call us that but that welfare check was strange we were literally we lived in an apartment we were outside of the apartment um she was maybe 15 feet away we could look up into her room um but i mean it has to have been obvious before then that the neighbors across the street do a lot of drugs and get into a lot of arguments right. and yeah, we argued like never before on meth. Uh, it was ridiculous. Oh, yeah. The first couple of years was like separate prisons of silence and like not communicating about how miserable we were. The last couple months was every hateful thing I have ever thought or heard anyone else think about you. I'm going to scream at you at 3.30 in the morning. Um, that's that That's that meth life. The meth rage. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I've never been like that. You've never become, you become sleep deprived, uh, malnourished, uh, aggressive. So much, you know? so much yeah. anger, so de so dynamic. Yeah. Demonic, yeah. right? Horrible. So, yeah, yeah. It brings us. It bring, brings the devil out in your head. You know. For sure. You just don't. You don't care anymore. You know. Uh, A lot of evil that surrounds it. So. Yeah. Then after, so you got arrested once, Justin, and then what happened? A uh, week later, I got arrested again uh, for, for the same thing. Same thing. We, 
I, I that first time I I had no idea about the justice system or what the rules around cops were. I opened the door and let them come into the apartment, and they had their way with me. You know, they. And they, this was during a time that when you getting when you're getting busted for paraphernalia or for the substance. This yeah. was during a time where it was a, a felony, and you were going no. To be yes. No. Uh, oh, no. It was a misdemeanor. Prop, prop 47 had 47 just had already passed. passed. Well, it just changed. Okay. So, yeah. So I, I, I got a, put in the drunk tank for eight hours and released, right? Just in time to, to start kicking. So I got picked up and went immediately to, to cop and and get well, you know? It it. Was, so, okay. so they, but, but, but the problem is at that first one is when the, the cops called CPS because our daughter was in the house and they say they started turning things over and this, that, and found some foils and decided we were, um, you yeah, know, we like were in the back bathroom behind a stack of towels. I mean, they really came in and tore the house apart to find what they With were no looking warrant, for. I might add. I mean, we invited them in. The I house, didn't invite them but, to search the house, but yeah. Um, right. <laughs> All right. You two. Now, <laughs> now, okay. So I tell you how many times I said, no officer get a warrant walk away like i felt yeah. like he just kept getting arrested because he would like we pulled up one night after going out to dinner and the cops pulled in behind us and i turn around and he's like leaning on the car letting them pat him down and i'm like all of the drugs are in your pocket why are you letting the this second, man touch no, you no it wasn't even it wasn't <laughs> even that it was second that was the second arrest of about like a week later we went out to eat and uh it was just the two of us and the, the cop you know, I, I didn't live in that world where I was trying to hide from cops. I, I had never lived like that before. So he asked me to look in my cigarettes and I said, sure. And in there I had my meth and my heroin under the foil wrapper in there. And he knew where exactly where to look because that, of course, was an obvious place. And um, I got arrested again. They can, they I, can think, I think I can relate to you, Justin, in, in the fact that I've been arrested. I've been in six raids in my life, too, that were in my own home. So and, insane. And, you, and I'm not saying that to, to show off or exaggerate, but usually yeah. when the cops show up, in my mind, I think, okay, the gig is up. Come on in. Yeah. Do what you need to do. Like, what am I going to They're the cops. Right. Like, right. Even, even if they don't have a warrant, they seem to be able to find their way in mm -hmm. through probable cause or some shit. Yeah. So, I, I also I mean, operated, I think, the harder I made it on them, the harder they were going to make it on me, you know, kind of thing. And I thought, you know, maybe this time they'll, like, let me go. Sure off uh so i got so, so the got, second so you had two crimes at this point or two times that you've both, been arrested yeah both paraphernalia and and the possession for small small amounts and i went same same gig each time uh, oh, eight hours in a drunk tank and a future court date and for a then that, what happened next we got to backtrack a little bit because that first day that he was arrested we thought I can only imagine what i looked like in retrospect i thought i was pulling off this act of a lifetime for the police where our daughter was home and they had called CPS and Justin was going to jail. And I thought, if I go to jail, you know, where is, where is she going to go? And so I put on this really ridiculous show of trying to act like I had come home and found him using. Right. And for whatever reason, they told him after I left that they didn't believe me, but they let me leave with, the CPS caseworker to go do an interview and they took Justin to jail and I got through that interview and I swear to God, the fact that that lady believed me the first time is why she made so many things so difficult on us. I went in, I talked to her, my husband has a drug problem, my fiance at the time, like I, 
my fiance has a drug problem. I need to get him some help. And this is what happened. And no, I'm not going to go home to him. And no, I'm not going to let him see the baby. And I was able to leave on my own accord. She drove me home and said, okay, have a good day. Pack your stuff. Don't come back to the apartment until it doesn't look like <clears throat> the police are going to come in at any time. And then he got arrested again and he got arrested again. But in that time period, that first window, I lied to CPS and told them I was going to go stay with my parents. And they called my parents and we couldn't go back to our apartment. Now we were paranoid that the place was being watched because why had they showed up the first time? And we jumped to a couple of motels. And by the second or third day, my mom called me. I wasn't speaking to my family at the time and said, I just want to see you and the baby and know that you guys are okay. Why don't you let her come stay with me while you figure out what you're going to do? I didn't know that they had been in communication with CPS and they, I went and met her in this parking lot. I can still picture it. Like it's yesterday. I was trying to, while I was handing over the baby, convince her, but like, look, my apartment has toxic mold. I ordered this Petri dish. Let me show you. I'm not on drugs. And um, at that point, I would come to find out years later that this was not the case and it was not true. And this was actually illegal. But as soon as I left, my parents and the caseworker said, you are not allowed to go back and get her. And after Justin had had increasingly diminished custody, it went from us having the kids four or five more days out of the month than their mom did to us having just Lottie most of the time to our daughter to we were alone. There was no reason to keep our voice down when we were fighting. There was no reason to only do enough drugs to get well, but not get loaded and be falling over. There was no reason to not pursue whatever crazy ass thing I had successfully convinced him the government was doing to us. Like it just, everything ramped up. And at a certain point, I'm not going to, I had already convinced myself I have fucked this up, this big fear that I had all of those days laying in bed with postpartum is coming true. I was never supposed to be anybody's mom. I was, I've ruined every life I've ever touched. You are the only person that has stuck by me and this is probably going to kill us. So I'm just going to keep doing it until it kills me. Like I, it was a really dark, I'd wake up, he wouldn't be home. If he didn't come back in a couple of hours, I'd figure he was in jail again. Um, but that that switch was such a, it went from this is a temporary problem that we are going to eventually find our way out of to this, this, is, our is, life. this is my life now. And mind you, I was still teaching at the time. Yeah. I was still going to work. And oh I, my God, I was, I was, I was teaching in Moreno Valley at a continuation school at the time. And I would pull over in a neighborhood near school and get loaded before I'd go to class. Yeah. I'd go out at lunch and I would get well before I'd go back. And I then I would my leave. concealer to cover his pick marks yeah. before he left for work. I'd oh, go, you were picking too, huh? Yeah. Uh, uh, on my I way home, pick him. on my way home, 
uh, our, our, pick, our, our, you know, our plug was on the one exit south of where I taught. It was perfect. So I meet him on my way home from school every day and uh and then head home to give her 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 cut and uh we would we would get well together and it was uh it was just ugly and that uh, that that kept going for a while until it, it couldn't anymore when i started getting arrested i stopped going to work also um figuring i was going to get fired anyway and um then the third time i got arrested was uh, i nodded out behind the, the wheel of of my car and crashed into the back of somebody at a stoplight, uh, walked away from the car on the phone. And then, um, one of the cops, the cop that had uh, arrested me the prior Same time cop. called me on my cell phone, had my personal number, number on lock and said, Hey, Justin, where are you at? Your car's sitting here in the middle of the street, uh, all totaled out. And so they gave me a hit and run. Um, and then, but they let me ride out again. No, no, just a court date like two months later he gave you um, an inspirational speech give me about a speech. kicking yeah give me a speech about getting through it and then um you know we i borrowed a car from a, a friend and she had she was a teacher uh, and it was someone i had seen briefly when she and i had broken up for a period of time and um she let me that vehicle um uh, we took it to go to LA and to do not good things to try and come up so we could get well um, because I was no longer getting a paycheck. And uh, in the midst of that trip to LA in the middle of the night, we got um, harassed by shop, uh, what do you call it? Uh, loss prevention folks at a Walmart in Moreno Valley um, and ran away from the store. Thought that was the, uh, end, thought of that was the end of it. And then uh, got a call from her at about three in the morning saying, I need you to bring my car back now. The cops are here. They've told me everything. She had no idea I had a substance use problem. None of that. I said, look, I'm already, I'm stuck in traffic. I'm on my way to LA. We got to do this thing. You know, we had some dumb excuse about something. We were going to help family or something. And <laughs> three in the morning. At three in the morning. And uh, that I, I'm not, I'll bring your car back this afternoon like we agreed. And we went. Uh, did what we needed to do, copped, and I brought the car back from Temecula after I dropped her off at a hotel. And uh, when I pulled into the apartment complex at her place in Riverside, uh, three uh, Riverside PD pulled up, guns drawn, and uh, took me into uh, Presley lockup in Riverside. And um, I spent six days there. It was a Friday night, so I had to wait. Couldn't see the judge till Wednesday. Wednesday, and uh, I got arraigned. They um, OR'd me, um, my own, uh, release on own recognizance, and I was given a court date again, you know. But I kicked uh, heroin in jail for, for six days, and it was horrible. Got beaten up for breaking the rules that I didn't even know existed. You know, I, I had no idea what I was in for because my arrests prior were all. Um, Drunk tank. Drunk tank. That's not the same thing. I, I got put in general pop and uh, was, you know, immediately subjected to the rules of, of the woodpile. And that was the way it worked. And uh, but they didn't tell me the rules. And I got in trouble for pushing a button to ask the cops to let me back in my cell after I showered because I was so sick. Mm -hmm. uh, we weren't supposed to touch that button uh, unless you were the, the key holder. You were not supposed to do that. And so. The guy came in one morning. I heard my door open. Someone came in and started beating the shit out of me on in my in my rack. 
and then walked out, shut the door and said, don't touch that button anymore. Okay. So I learned, <laughs> but they OR'd me a couple of days later. And uh, so I got out with a big scab above my eye, I'll, you know, uh, basically through the worst of the, of the uh, withdrawals and went and got high immediately. Came home and I was, she, I got home. I was on uh, the verge of insanity. Yeah, I got well on my way out. I I I I was released at midnight in Riverside, downtown Riverside. I had two hundred dollars on my books, and she had tried to get me out, um, bailed out. They called my employer in Moreno Valley um, late at night, and they expected not to get anyone. They were going to use my employer as my you know my backing for for my uh, for my bail. And someone answered. Some teacher answered and had known about me, uh, what was going on, that I was no longer employed there. And that, um, uh, and so they denied my bail and I, I got stuck in there. So I had 200 bucks on my books. I got out with another guy who asked me for a ride. I said, I can have the taxi right, drive you home. He said he would give me some Vicodin and uh, a loaded Pookie if I gave him a ride home. He only lived a couple miles down the road from the jail. I said, shoot <laughs> it. Gas comes home high. Shoot it. So I'm I, dying. So I had the taxi driver <laughs> stop at a jack-in-the-box. I went straight into the stall and got loaded. And then I popped the Norcos immediately, but I went in and used uh, in the in the stall um, and then went home, got home, and she was curled up on the couch, kicking hard uh, in psychosis. And I had to wait till morning to help her out because I had already used everything except there was still some some meth left in the pipe, which didn't help her, but she did anyway. It was uh, it was ugly, ugly, and got so we got loaded again, started right back into it, and it was only two weeks, I think, before the main the event. big the big event, yeah, which was so before uh, we get into the big event. I want you guys to know, um, and I'm going to say this anyway on the air. Usually, the podcast takes an hour, but this morning when Brittany asked me, so uh, sorry. Which, no, no, don't worry. When she, this is all vital. Like this is very important information that for yeah. for this particular episode. Um, <clears throat> usually, we there's been times we've gone over an hour, depending on the on the guest. Now, I want to hear all this. I want it to be all, all on here because there's more to talk about. We haven't yeah. even gotten to the recovery yet. And we're not even at the main event. But Brittany asked me this morning, how long does it usually last? I said it could be anywhere from thirty to forty to sixty minutes, depending on you guys and the content. So. So we're going to keep going and we're going to talk about the main event. I really want to hear about this main event because it's, okay. this is what like really uh, put you guys in the position of where you had to go next in life right. to, to hopefully have a wake up call. So go ahead. Sure. Okay. What was I saying? Um, main event. Well, we, 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 like I said, we fell back in just the same, same stuff. We were about to get evicted from our apartment and uh, I think we had extended it as long as we could, it was going it was a Friday and the sheriff and, had come and we had filed another paper, right. but it was going to be denied on Monday. It was yeah. going to be Monday morning. It was Friday. Um, my sister had gotten in touch with me and was trying to get me to go up to a salvation army up in Santa Maria had gotten it set up. Um, yeah, you were supposed to leave. I was demanding. Yeah. I was demanding that, uh, if I went into a program that, that they would allow me to still speak to my kids each day. And um, she had supposedly set that up with Salvation Army, but I know that's way against their policies uh, for a minute. There's a blackout period. So I don't know if that was ever true. Uh, it doesn't matter. She bought a train ticket. I was supposed to get on the train to take it up north. And um, but at the time, Brittany wasn't speaking to her family. Uh, our, our, our child was gone. 
And so if I had left her, she would have been on the streets as a Monday morning by herself, severely addicted to two horrible substances and at the, you know, at, at the mercy of the assholes who we caught from. And um, I knew where their heads were at and where they would have gone with it. And so I asked my sister to find a place for her. She said she could not. And I said, then I cannot get on that train. And so my sister, who had gotten us phones, uh, prepaid phones, um, immediately stopped paying for that and um, said that she couldn't help me anymore if I wasn't willing to go get help. And um, the very next day, I had no car, I had no job, I had no money. Um, we no were no drugs and we were, so we were kicking, um, we were very high on meth and we went to a Walmart we were walking around aimlessly trying to find a way to come up with something that we could get well and um, saw an opportunity to jump in a car. A lady had dropped her stuff off at her car to go put her cart away. I thought, you know, maybe her keys were in there. I uh, jumped in the front. Brittany kept walking, scared. Yeah, I didn't know what was going on exactly. And then um, the lady came running up when she saw me get in the car and uh, she had the keys in her hand. I grabbed them. I sh started the car. Another lady ran up trying to help open the door. I closed the door. I'm trying to get the car started. The keys fell. It was a shit show. I was pepper sprayed you. She pepper sprayed me inside of the face. I shut the door again. I drove away. And uh, we drove down to Oceanside because we had a connect down there that we were hoping to connect with. And um, we pulled onto the street at the college in the 74, wasn't it? Or 76? You're skipping the whole. <laughs> what? So. <laughs> Sorry. I'm a little blurry. Yeah, I have a little bit of a better recollection. We were calling our normal guy, guy Friday, for, who Middle was man. right there in town. I had kept walking. I'm on the other side of the parking lot. I hear this woman. Uh, she, I was, I mean, respect for the mouth on this sweet, tiny lady, because I hear motherfucker from across the parking lot, full volume and screaming at him, swearing. I'm trying to figure out what's going on. My phone rings and he's like, you've got to get in the car. You got to get in the car. I'm like, where are you? He tells me where he is. He pulls up in this car. Already, I'm like, this is very, very bad. Like, crowd gathering, people screaming. I get in the car. He had been very professionally pepper sprayed directly in the face. And we were on the 15 freeway driving towards San Diego from Marietta. And for whatever reason, the first exit was closed under construction. The second exit was down to one lane, and the third one was backed up all the way to the second and third exit because of all of these. It's this very difficult memes have been made about it, trafficking in the town. So he just keeps driving out of the county. I remember saying we just left the county. This was up first. Like being super aware that now we're really, really fleeing. And he was just pouring water down his face, coughing, choking. I'm trying to Google on this prepaid flip phone how to counteract the side effects of pepper spray. 
And like the first hundred answers, I pull up a Yahoo Answers page and all of them are like, why pervert? So I'm not finding any information that's helping me. And finally I settle on milk. And as the answer, I remember it came up, my lawyer brought it up months later in court. We stopped at a gas station so that he could, I could buy some milk and he could rinse out his eyes. And I'm trying to act supernatural because I'm, I don't, obviously I don't want to give away that we're now in Oceanside, San Diego County, almost an hour away. Um, so I'm like smiling at the clerk and trying to buy all this milk. And my lawyer later was like, you seem to be having a damn good time on the security footage at the 7-Eleven. Um, like I looked like I had no remorse. It was said later. And I'm like, you got to let me drive. At that point, like this is who we are now. We are international criminals of you know, high drug crimes and thieves. And I wanted to try and go pick up our daughter. I don't care what we have to do. I want to go get her and I want to flee. I don't know where we were going. I don't know what the answer was, but in that moment, I was now in very far gone psychosis. Like, okay, now's the moment in the movie that, you know, you flee and you start a new life. And you know, how do we get a hold of fake ID? I, to this day, I couldn't tell you how to get a hold of fake ID. And I did time with probably a thousand people that produced them. But I was like, we need to find a fake ID and we need to get a disguise. And I want to go get our little girl and I want to leave. And we have to never do these drugs again. Like all these crazy things. I'm driving. I, yeah, it was a uh, college. 76. College in the uh, 76 going towards the 78. Going, um, going toward uh, the I-5, toward Oceanside. Um, we were in Oceanside going toward yeah. the ocean. I hung oh, left. We turned, I was going college, towards yeah. the 78. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. I'm sitting at this light. I knew there was like a Walmart yonder. We had just been in a Walmart, but I wanted to go to a bigger one. And <laughs> see a cop driving the opposite direction. I had been yelling from the minute I got in the car. I was like, this thing has low deck. And Justin was like, no, it doesn't. It's too old. And I'm like, it's a Mercedes. It has low jack. No, it doesn't. It's an old Mercedes. Um, I see this cop going the opposite direction and I'm starting to panic and he's don't panic, don't panic. And they turn around immediately at that light that we were driving through. And I'm trying to real casually just like turn into a neighborhood because they're behind me and they turn with me. And I turn again and they turn with me. And I'm already trying to like slow down, pull over. What do we do? We gotta. Um, I remember saying, if they follow us, we're done. Don't try and ditch them. There was one moment as I was pulling over where we tried to figure out if I was gonna floor it. Um, I'm glad I didn't because within before either one of us was even out of the car, there was probably 10 cop cars behind us. Um, with guns with guns um so i'm driving and i do the whole driver put your hands out the window exit the vehicle step backwards um they were gentler with me he immediately tries to protect me 
and is like, I made her go, I kidnapped her, I had a weapon, like, was immediately trying to take all of the blame. And I'm sitting there saying, please, like, stop yelling at the officers that you have a weapon. Like, no, he doesn't have a weapon. Um, I, I They separated us and put us in different squad cars. I asked them how they found us. And the guy's like, yeah, that car and that model is like the first car to get low jack. <laughs> so like maybe a year older car. But um, we sat there in these squad cars on the side of the road for what felt like a million years. I felt like I was having a panic attack. I was, no, I was having a panic attack. And at one point they opened my door and loosened my cuffs. And I guess the neighbor had called while we were gone, that same neighbor had called in another welfare check because they kept asking me if you had assaulted me the other day. Um, I still don't know where that came from, but they thought for a minute that I was a victim of domestic violence. And they brought out this couple, the woman whose car it was and her husband, and they identified, she identified Justin, they gave them their car back. And then the officers from our town get there to pick us up. Nobody's treating either one of us with any dignity anymore at that point because we were so sick of our shit. He was getting arrested on like a bi-weekly schedule and I was always getting out of it, which I'm sure infuriated them. But um, what we didn't know that we would know later is that we were already on the news by the next day, like I think we made the latest news broadcast that night. By the next day, our mugshots were on the internet, on TV. Um, the woman whose car we had was a senior citizen. So it was, I take complete and full responsibility for the gravity and seriousness of what happened but a headline looks a lot more sensational than the already terrible story. So it was, you know, Murrieta carjackers rob innocent grandmother. I mean, it looked really, really, it, it looked as bad as it was and it looked a little bit worse. Yeah. Um, you know, I had been a teacher. She was a lot younger than me and had been a student at that school. You know, we had a history this they Bonnie and it, Clyde story made, came yeah, up all they, over. They wrote it up like I drove by the school and picked her up after class and went and got her loaded and then took her on a crime spree. I mean, that's really how the the, the article was written in that way. There was no there was no um, accuracy to the situation uh, other than a few of the details, the date and the time. People I hadn't seen since high school were giving stories about like, I had always been a fuck up and a shit show and I came from a bad family. I mean, it was, I read all the articles years later um, with my counselor in treatment. And it was really difficult because I, I didn't even see the one newspaper article that did make its way into both of our county jail tanks, uh, dorms, even though it wasn't supposed to. 
had our faces and our pictures on it. Got Justin almost killed. Um, but so we got taken in. We got questioned all night. Um, I remember being handcuffed to this bar in the hallway. And they had split us up. And I was so grateful that like, I wasn't gonna still have my arm hooked to this bar and they put us in different rooms and I was hooked to a different bar. Yeah. And at that point I was now also coming down and I kept falling asleep, but I had to lay down with my arm over my head. And I had, by the next day, I had these really gnarly, like burned in bruises in my wrists because I'd fall asleep, my arm would jerk against the handcuffs. Um, we were at the, County jail all night. At one point, I thought they were going to let me leave. They did not. That was um, at the Marietta. They took us to Marietta PD first. For oh, questioning. yeah, that's what I meant. They took us to the Marietta Police Department. The officer that had known I was full of shit the first time you got arrested came on shift as they were getting ready to transport us. And they were talking about whether or not I could hear them talking about whether or not they thought that I had been involved. And he came in and was like, oh, she's going to jail. <laughs> like immediately stuck his head in the room I was in and was it was that guy's best day all year. Yeah, um, they figured it out. So at this point now, you guys both ended up getting charged and going to prison. Correct. Yes. Yeah. But and, yeah, it, it and, was a different it was a journey just getting there. We were in county jail for eight months. Six we were months, originally seven charged with like 17 things a piece. My first uh, offer was 16 years. I don't know. remember what hers was. 13. My bail was half a million dollars. They sent us through drug court thinking we thought for a minute we were going to get this outpatient drug program. That was a joke. It never. They never intended to give us that. It was a, just a delay tactic. So I, I, I ended up in the ICU with a brain hemorrhage after the first week in county jail from getting beat up because of that article. I got my face busted up because of that article. Uh, it was ugly. Ugly, ugly, ugly. And then, so, yes, eventually we we um, we pled, uh, did a plea bargain in December of 15. Um, her for three years, me for six years and four months with uh, two strikes and um, some fraud stuff. And, you know, you know, they added a, they added some stuff bunch on of petty yeah. junky shit. And okay. uh, so I ended up in, yeah, I ended up in prison with a six year, four month prison sentence and her with a three. Okay. So, so this is, this right. is where, where we go into how I met you guys. Right. Yeah. I, know, right. I know that Brittany, Brittany was in prison for a while, I believe almost three years. Correct. So, yeah. About two and a half. Yeah. So, yeah. and Justin was in prison doing time. I had no idea who you were, never heard of you, hadn't talked to you. Um, so, I, I do, and I want to bring this up. I don't know if it matters or if you guys care, but I'm just going to throw it out there. I know that rabbis often will go in prisons and talk to individuals, and I don't know if that's for uh, trying to convert to Judaism or not. I, Jews don't not, do that. <laughs> but they, but they, they're, they're there. They're assisting you. You guys were they, definitely... They are um, on there as well as a Christian... Technically, uh, every every religion is supposed to be represented every religion, yeah. for okay. for the inmates that are there that are already practicing. Yeah, so some, somehow, and I yeah. we won't even get into this because it'll. I know that I, okay. I, yeah. I, I went to go. Brittany and I had a mutual friend that asked me to come speak at 
Beit Shuva, which is a Jewish-based uh, uh, treatment center in the heart of Los Angeles, right? And so, and I always, I love my Beit Shuva family. I'd been there before, and this time I went there to go speak one night, and I spoke, and, and Brittany just I just thought she was a client there. Maybe she was working there and partial client, whatever. But she was sitting, I think, next to me. And and so that's where we first met. And Yeah, I was the co-secretary. So I co-secretary. Was okay, okay. Yeah, yep. And, and that's where we first met. Now, we uh, I think we stayed in communication because we still have that same mutual friend, too. And then um, prob- I don't know how much longer after that, but you're, uh, I at this, almost simultaneously got – had conversations with Brittany about um, a man who she loved, who she had a kid with that got in trouble, that's in prison. And then a lady called me and the stories matched up. The lady that called me was about her son who was in prison and he's not a bad guy. He, he just got caught up in some stuff and um, he's educated this, that, and the other. Um, and at the time I had a sober living, it was for 40 and up people. And um, so as I'm talking to this lady, I almost immediately talked to Brittany afterwards, not knowing that we're talking about the same guy, right? And so, mm-hmm. and uh, Brittany, uh, the way that she described you, Justin, and then the way that uh, your mother described you too, and, and you know, uh, it was, it matched up. You know, I thought to myself, so what was really cool is that your mom, I asked your mom if I could start communicating with you through prison. And so you would write letters. And when your letters came to me, they were, I was like, this guy's, of course he's an English teacher. I mean, his penmanship is just on point. And, Best penmanship ever. And who, and who still writes in cursive? I mean, like, and so well, like so well written to the point where like sometimes you read cursive, you don't really know, you, some of the words are hard to make out, but like yours were very readable, right? And and it was it was excellent. And your the way that you would write to me touched my heart because I could tell that you were in there and you, you, you had taken responsibility for what you'd done and you were trying to change your life. And while you were in there, you were, if I'm not mistaken, um, going through some educational process to be able to work somewhere um, when you got out. Um, and, and, and in that time too, uh, Brittany and I often would talk and we counted the days and the days were, it was going to be a while before you came out, but definitely I think it was like a year and a half. And then, Afterwards, you came, you came to our sober living and you lived there for a while and you ended up becoming the house manager there. And Brittany and I, our friendship grew a lot too. Your friendship with me grew too. So I watched you uh, come out and we'll, we'll just spend the next 10 minutes talking about the personal struggles. And I'm, when I say personal struggles, I mean the fact that your families weren't fond of each other. Right. It's okay to say that, correct? Absolutely. And and perhaps they still aren't. And, and, you know, that's neither here or there, but the thing is, is what you guys have gone through, the fact that you guys came and still wanted to be together and you wanted to be there for your daughter that you both share and that you wanted to uh, even go as far as, you know, being like going on with your lives together in, in a mutual relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you want to talk about the struggles that you've gone to through just, a little bit and and talk about you know how much you've changed and why why you do feel that you could be great parents because i believe you could be great parents for her if if she could be in your life more 
And um, and I'm not. And we didn't do this broadcast. We didn't do this podcast today so that we get people to to see that we, we're just talking about it because I'm sure there's plenty of other people out there that have gone through similar situations. So go for it. Um, I'll start for sure. Go ahead. I when I was talking to you when I reached out to you, um, it was my ex is getting out of getting out of prison. You know, I. He's really, really great. I will always have this love for him. And I had decided at that point I had gone through Beit Teshuvah. I ended up working there for years. And I wanted him to get something close to what I had. We had written, literally, I wasn't exaggerating, probably 2,500 letters back and forth in the years when I was incarcerated and he I did not I was not even half as good at pretending to write as much after I got out but we had split up and you know the world said you guys were bad together it was bad start to finish look at how it started look at all of the lack of morality in your decision making look at where you guys got to together if you, you know, my family had adopted our daughter, if you want to be in her life, if you want to be in our lives, if you want any support, I was getting out of prison with nothing and no one except Beit Chuba, who had saved her. I, I cannot stress enough that every single thing I have from the computer I'm talking to you on to the person that I get to love, I have because of the lady that met me in Beit Chuba, but, um, or that met me in prison that was from Beit Chuba, but you know, start over. And I tried, I tried to do that. And we didn't talk for almost a year after we broke up. I really horribly with no sensitivity broke up with him in like a phone call on Christmas Eve. And it was the first time in my life I was in therapy. And I, I just wanted to not make any more big mistakes for anyone that I loved. And when we did start talking again and he was trying to figure out where to go when he got out, you know, it's not always so easy for someone who's coming out from a six year prison term with two violent strikes, find a beautiful, you know, Orange County sober living that will take him and not think he's going to be a problem. And Pej, you and I had connected at one point my dad drives uber and ended up with this like intoxicated girl who needed detox in his uber for three or four hours in the middle of the night i hadn't seen you since i met you at that meeting you spoke at and called you like a year and a half later at one in the morning and you were like sure sure let me let me just make some calls that girl had a bed in like two hours so i was like i can try to help you find somewhere to go and I really, really thought that that's what it was at the time. And I wasn't gonna go see him right away when he came out in the beginning. And then the closer it got, like, okay, I gotta go see him. I just, I really need to see him. Like, I'll probably try to see him that first week he's out, you know, for closure and for the moment. And then by the time he got out, it was like, Pej, is he there yet? Did he happen to get there yet? Is he safe? Is he alive? Like, how's his mom treating him? Um, but the problem that we, I think the biggest thing was our life had frozen in this moment that other people told us this ends now five years before like a 
peck on the mouth at intake in jail and everyone in our life was saying, you know, that's done now. That relationship hadn't run its course. It hadn't, you know, every separation and barrier had felt like it was put on us by other people, but I was afraid of myself. I love this man so much that I will lay down and die next to him before I will leave him in the middle of a dark and twisty drug fueled craze, you know, like I'll get out and buy the milk and wash your eyes and drive the car. And I was so scared and our world had been so small when we were using that obviously I ended up going to see him and obviously we ended up still loving each other. And a lot of our getting back together, I was so afraid to sacrifice this independence. You know, he would call me and want to come over a second or third day in a row for dinner. And I'd be like, no, I have a life and put up this big wall of, I can't, I can't give anything else up. You know, I have my routine and I have my structure and I have my ways that I keep myself off of substances. And if I change any of those things, I could fall apart again. And I don't, I struggled a lot with trying to integrate. And then I struggled with Justin trying to have boundaries. And yeah, we both, we kind of both flexed at different times, uh, feeling uncomfortable, unsure, uh, not wanting to upset the apple cart with our families. You know, all of those different issues were present. Yeah, that was the thing is time. I felt like all these people had given me all these ultimatums. And on the one hand, here I was like five years later, finally back in the family. Everybody loves me. Brittany's cured and fixed. Let's not talk about that again. But don't you dare love someone that you're not supposed to love. And I felt like I was put in this situation where I was honest to a disgusting fault and out of fear. And then now, like, I have to lie to you. I is what I felt like because I wasn't willing to not listen to what I felt in my heart, but I was also afraid of losing my access to our child, losing my relationships with my sisters that were my entire world. And I'm going to let you yeah. talk, but his, I you know, same. So it created this, this, need to just keep their eyes on us and know where we were and what we were doing so that we didn't endanger ourselves again created this roadblock that like if we had all just been able to talk through it it probably would have saved us some time and struggle and suffering and white knuckling through craving moments because of these big feelings and that took took us a couple of years to find the balance for that yeah we um uh... You know, that first year I was uh, working and trying to avoid the thing that we both, you know, wanted because of all these other outside issues. Um, you know, I had worked really hard while I was in to get my license with the state to do wastewater treatment. Um, I was lucky enough to get put out there at that, uh, the plant at the prison and I got my experience. So I was able to get out and have a new career that would like equate what I was, had been making as a, as a teacher. Um, coming out of prison, which is unheard of, right? And so, uh, but the first year I, I was not able to find work in Orange County. I was, um, you know, living in your house, Pej, and 
and then managing your house and working at the treatment center in Costa Mesa. And um, those were all really great experiences for me. And focusing on my sobriety was uh, is super important. And I struggled a lot through that year with a lot of different things. Um, mostly the continued rejection from my family and my children. Um, you know, I had expectations, which, you know, uh, you know, we all learn in, in recovery is uh, super unhealthy, um, expecting certain behaviors from other people. Um, and, you know, I just had to get comfortable with the patience and, and, and knowing things would happen in God's time. But what did happen after that year was I was able to get hired with LA County um, at a big plant up here. And um, I'm making more money than I was making after 15 years of teaching now. And that's some really significant, that's significant to say after, uh, I will have been out for three years in September. Three years or four years? Three years. And it seems a lot longer, um, but I'm, you know, after three years, I'm I'm financially uh, independent and I'm um, deep in, in my recovery and I have sponsees and I've got people calling me for advice who are struggling with their own sobriety and um, in my family, people that are important to me that, that took a chance to reach out to me because they didn't know what to do. And uh, that feels good. You know, it feels good to, to be that person instead of the one everyone's looking at and, you know, with, with question marks. Um, but we've lost a lot because of this. Uh, we don't, um, you know, we, I think we both took a step back when I got out. Uh, we needed time to sort of look at each other and watch each other in, in, in each other's individual lives. Like, what, who is this person now? Like, are they real with what they're doing? Are they true in their dedication to sobriety? And, I, you know, um, do I like what this person looks yeah. like when they're sober? Yeah. Who is this person now? You know, what, after what we've been through, you know, we, it goes without saying that an experience like prison changes you. Uh, yeah. But you don't know, you don't know it yourself uh, as much as others do. You know, there are a lot of things that uh, I've overcome since I've gotten out that I didn't even realize were there, uh, but I've had to really work through. And I, she's been really great at being able to point those things out to me. I've been on therapy since almost, the first month I was out. Um, Pesh found you a therapist. Pesh found me a therapist. Uh, Taryn, she's been amazing. And then um, we've, you know, we've just worked through that stuff. Our families, though, are not, uh, you know, not accepting of this. Um, thankfully, you it's know, not, I mean, not a hundred percent across the board, but no, no, no. Like, you know, there's, we've got support from some of our siblings and, uh, you know, but it's, it's just been, um, tough, you know, had some mixed bag experiences with my children. Um, but at this moment, they're not, uh, not really in my life a whole lot. I speak to my son. That's about it. Um, mm. but not really seeing them at all. And so it's, you know, there's, a, it's a mixed bag and those are the things that the continued struggle, uh, in recovery and post post awful, experiences and you know terrible things that we did you know we both own completely what we did uh we don't use our addiction as an excuse but it is a reason why we did the things we did you know it sure. is it is about reason. it does not excuse the behavior and it doesn't mean we are uh you know void of of responsibility for it at all uh, it means 
we need to take responsibility for it and we need to deal with the issue that put us there, which is our addiction. And that's what we've both done since the day we got out. We have been dedicated to trying to find peace for ourselves within this program and learn what it means to be sober in um, in our own recoveries, uh, but also, you know, giving back to to others that are struggling and and also to have patience and leave space for the struggles our families are going through to figure out mm-hmm. where they play, can place us now in their minds and hearts. And that's been probably the toughest part for both of us, I think, as far as our recoveries go, is, is being patient with those people that we love and care about the most who have also, you know, out of fear and out of self-protection uh, have done some things that have been really hurtful uh, and tough to, to handle. Um, There's a couple things, sorry, I didn't mean to jump no, right over you. A couple things that I think that we've done really, really well, and we do a million things terribly, you know, on the average, but we both, we both came to the middle place with, our own idea of what staying clean and sober looked like for us. I can, I can be codependent with this man all the live long day, but like I said, that previous world was so small and that I could convince him that he felt the microchip fibers under his skin and saying, you know, when he first, when we first even started trying to connect as friends, we were, going to two different programs and like had a healthy banter about which program approach was going to keep which person, you know, better in the long run. But we've kept those things separate. We both participate in a 12 step fellowship. Occasionally, if the mood strikes us, we'll go to a meeting together. It's very rare. I think it's like three times yeah, ever. mostly we go to mostly we go to like separate meetings and, and women's meetings, you know, yeah. do separate recovery based things and then come back to center and share like what we've learned and what we're thinking based on that. I think we've done that really, really well, by all means, if like I work in treatment and if I send clients to meetings and they're like, well, I want to go to this meeting because that cute girl, you know, is there fine. If that's going to put you in the room, go there. But for us, it's been, this is my independent private place to learn and grow. And I think that the other thing that we've done really well, and this is where like the codependency works for us, is I can't always see in myself the thing that I said to Justin three days ago. And when our daughter is mad at me and doesn't want me to come to her birthday because she told her friends I died in a tragic Mexican earthquake. Um, She was super creative, by the way. (laughs) Told her kindergarten class that mom and dad died in a tragic earthquake in Mexico. Um, I can't see through that painful moment and I'm angry and I'm sad and I'm wanting to blame the world. And Justin can step in for me and say, hey, we don't have control over other people's forgiveness timeline. All you can do is continue to show up no matter how, you know, no matter what mood your relationship is in in that moment, because that's what we learned how to do. And he can say that to me and a week later be 
heartbroken and outraged at not being included in a milestone in his children's lives. And, you know, I can say, hey, this is, we don't get to control when any of our kids want to come to our house. All we can control is what kind of environment they walk up to and they're not ready right now. Mm -hmm. And I can hear it from him because when he's saying it to me, it's someone that has loved me through all of the disgusting symptoms of opiate detox and a jail cell. And it's not the deep, dark sound of my own alcoholism telling me that I'm worthless and I earned this. And I think that we both can give that to each other. Like there is nobody in the world that understands every single moment of the last decade of my life other than this guy. Like, I don't feel like we could have loved other people if we wanted to at this point. There's also something to be said for knowing that, you know, there's some shared, obviously some, a lot of shared traumas surrounding the kids. And when she'll come back from visiting our daughter and, and be struggling, uh, you know, he's not allowed to go. I'm not allowed to see her. Yeah. Um, we will connect, um, silently on that because we we've decided and we've talked about like, I can't really quench or give you uh, relief uh, in that moment. I can't, I don't have the tools to give you relief about our daughter and the things you're feeling because I have my own. And so all I can do is say, I love you. I'm here for you. I understand. I'll hurt next to you. And um, yeah. we're going to hurt together right now. And like at, at least that is uh, something that we can offer one another through that. And then we have our, our tools and program, which we then have to lean on. Um, and we've decided and talked about and been vocal about, look, we can't be each other for all things. It's not healthy for us. We need outside perspective. We can't just be sad together all the time. And so we do reach out our, you know, our sponsors, um, uh, friends within the program, et cetera, to get that, um, that kind of support. Yeah. You know, uh, and, and I'm not always great at it. I, I very easily can fall back into that isolation mode that I grew up in, uh, where I don't reach out to, to anyone. And I, okay, so if my phone doesn't ring off and I'm just going to keep calling you. Yeah, please. <laughs> I told Pej like a week ago, hey, I need you to go check on Justin. He's having a hard day. And he did. <laughs> he did. He texted me and I and I told him I, I didn't want to bother him. And that that's the trap I fall in for myself. Yeah, forget about that. Not wanting to bother, bother the thing. Me. I get bothered enough every day. Yeah. It's all good. Well, with that said, I mean, this has been a, a it's been really, really good to go deep and really see how it all happened. I, I, I want you guys to know. Um, you both mean a lot to me. I love you both, both dearly. I think you're extremely talented. I don't even think I know it. Um, I know that Brittany, you want, you're a writer and I believe you have a lot of stories within that head of yours. And I, amazing. Don't, I don't know if you ever want to write about this, but it, when I hear it, it is a hell of a story. I mean, uh, it's, it's like, a, as you were going along, felt like I was watching a movie. I'm happy that you both got out of it. And I really admire the love that you have for each other. And that's okay. I think it's okay. I understand the type of love you have for each other. And I couldn't imagine you with anybody else. So people are going to have to be okay with that. And if they're not, they're not. But um, thank you guys for coming on the podcast today. I love you thank all you. both very much. Love you and, too. Thank and you for having us. Justin worked the overnight. So it's time to go to bed in a little bit. <laughs> yes. Yes, sir.
Love you guys. Have a good rest of your day. Thanks to anybody that, that tuned in today or that ends up watching this or hearing it. Thanks. Great. Thanks. Thanks, Pej. Bye. Bye.